Well, it's great to be back with you. Uh, it's hard to believe that it's been a year since I've been on this stage and, and got to walk through some scripture with you. Time goes so fast. I want to start this time by just saying thank you. Uh, thank you to this church, you in it, uh, the vision of this place over a decade ago to free me up from some of my duties to to pursue this dream that God had put on my heart and to step out and just see what God would do with this radical idea of starting a ministry that could work with leaders, not only here, but around the country. And not many places would have done that. And Berean as a church continues to support financially Harbor and, and many of you individually do that as well. And I can tell you that's both needed and deeply appreciated. And so I just want to say thank you. I think this team of Harbor, as we gather, there's 11 people on our salaried staff. They include some people you know, Brian Olson, who is with me, and, and Tracy Brester, who leads our Revel group. Brian and I focus on the Rhythm and 20 and Rogue events that Ryan mentioned, all two or three-year leadership journeys that we take people on to help them discover a mission of leaving, living with rhythm, leaving a legacy, and finish well. And as we gather, and we thought we are just humbled and amazed that God would use this regular, deeply flawed people like me who are just willing to step out and see what God may do. And uh, we never would have guessed that it's a, a ride where it has currently over 800 people from around the country from 44 states have entered and finished one of these journeys. So, so again, just want to say thank you. And you know, as we finish this series in Hebrews 11, it is filled with just regular flawed people who are willing to back their belief in God up and step out on faith. And, and as a result, radical things happen. And uh, it's actually really a privilege to be able to finish this incredible series through Hebrews 11, this faith chapter hall of fame of all these men and women who took such bold steps. It's, it's great to be able to finish this with the stories of Joshua as he leads the Hebrew army to Jericho and Rahab, the prostitute whose story laid a foundation for that march on Jericho. So uh, when we started this series earlier in the summer, uh, we started with a definition of really what faith is all about. It started in Hebrews 11, verse 1. I was on the screen earlier, and uh, in my journey of leadership over the last many years, I have a lot of conversations on this. What is faith? It's a churchy word, you know, and, and how do you describe it to people? I mean, what does it really mean to, to have faith in God? And this verse gives us some description of it. In uh, Hebrews 11, verse 1, the King James Version of the Bible says, faith, the substance of things hoped for, and the evidence of things not seen. The NLT Version says, faith shows the reality of what we hope for. It is the evidence of things we cannot see. And the NAS says, faith is the certainty of things hoped for and the proof of things that we have not seen. Some of you are familiar with Oswald Chambers. He describes faith this way. Faith enables the believing soul to treat the future as the present and the invisible as seen. And Pastor Tim Mackey, who's a pastor currently up in Portland, Oregon, describes it this way. He says, faith starts with a reason. This is not blind faith that we're invited into. It starts with a reason, a purpose, and it ends with action. It's not just a mental state of mind, he says. It is an experience you have as a result of cho choices that you make. Man, it's good. 
an experience you have as a result of choices you've made. And Hebrews 11 is filled with men and women and their stories of an experience they had as a result of the choices they made, an experience that ended up changing their lives, their families' lives, people around them, and in many cases, future generations to come. So let's take a look at these two verses and these two stories that I get to walk through with you. These two verses finishing our series come out of Hebrews 11, verse 30 and 31. It says, It was by faith that the people of Israel marched around Jericho for seven days, and the walls came crashing down. It was by faith that Rahab, the prostitute, was not destroyed with the people of her city, who refused to obey God. For she was given a friendly wel- she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. So first, let's get some backstory to these two incredible stories and these incredible people of faith. <clears throat> Last week, Jeff talked to us about Moses, God's man, to lead the people of Israel, the Hebrew people, out of bondage, out of slavery in Egypt to freedom and march them to the promised land. And as Moses did that, he did. He led this exodus of a whole nation. And we're talking about hundreds of thousands of people out of Egypt. And they come up to the Red Sea. And by this time, the Egyptian army had changed their mind and turned on him and was moving in to destroy them. And God, in the moment, parted the Red Sea. And this nation of people, hundreds of thousands, walked through the Red Sea and on dry land and escaped to freedom. And at that point, Moses took them to the promised land. And Moses sent 12 spies over to the promised land to scout it out, to see what they were dealing with. And those 12 spies came back and all of them said, this is incredible. This is an amazing place. Unbelievable. But 10 of the 12 said, there's giants over there, fortified cities. There's no way. We don't have a chance of making it. And they backed down from taking a step toward what God had promised them. Only Joshua and Caleb believed that God could deliver that land. So as a result, God banned them into the desert for another 40 years. And you talk about a tough leadership assignment. Moses' job, lead the people around the desert for 40 years until all that older generation dies. That's his job. And they don't sign me up for that one. I mean, that's tough. And he did that. And now he brings a new generation of Hebrew people back to the promised land, right up to the cusp of history. It's their chance. It's their opportunity to say, are we going to not just believe there's a God, but are we going to back that up with action? Are we going to take a step and enter into that promised land? And in a very public ceremony, in front of all the people, Moses passes the baton of leadership to Joshua. He's going to be the man to take the people across. This great warrior is going to be the man to take the people across the promised land, cross the Jordan River. And where do we find Joshua at this moment? on the cusp of history, in his tent, by himself, in solitude, in quiet, listening, and in a conversation with God. That's what was modeled to him by 40, for 40 years by Moses. Moses many times didn't act or move without clear direction from God, and Joshua now is in that moment. Beautiful picture, and we see because of what it says in the Bible, the text is, we got a man who's afraid, and who wouldn't be? I mean, this is incredible. You know, what, uh, what a task is it? He is trembling with fear. He doesn't know what to do, doesn't know how to process what, what's coming. And God gives him these words in Joshua 1. 
Joshua, just what he needed. Just like I was with Moses, I'll be with you. Just like I was Moses, I'm going to be with you. I'm going to give you every square inch of this land. Everything you see is going to be yours. Don't be fearful. Don't be dismayed. Be strong. Be courageous, Joshua. Don't be terrified because I'm going to be with you every step you take. And with the strength of those words, Joshua enters the days ahead and leads the people across the Jordan River. And I got to tell you, take just a moment to tell you this part because it's so great. I mean, the story's incredible from start to finish. So he takes them across the Jordan River and likely this is, uh, history would tell us, this is that flood stage of the Jordan. So once again, God dries up the Jordan River so this nation of people, these hundreds of thousands could cross on dry ground. And they do. They cross the Jordan, go to the other side. And then comes the priests, the spiritual leaders of that nation, carrying the Ark of the Covenant stones of the Ten Commandments, and they go through the river and through the people. And then comes the 12 great leaders of the whole country. They've been handpicked, and they go out, and they carry through them with a big stone on their back, stones of remembrance. And they walk through the people with those stones as they carry those things, because God did not want the people or their children or their children's children to forget what God had done this day. And then comes the army. Text tells us 40,000 battle-ready soldiers cross the river through the people and head into the valley. And where are they going? Jericho, the baddest town in the valley. Fierce warriors, walls of stone, unpenetrable by enemy forces throughout its history. No one got in. Ultimate defense system. And that's where they're heading. And as... Joshua and his army approached Jericho. God tells them, this is what I want you to do. I want you to take the army and circle the city on day one. March around it. And on day two, I want you to march around it again. And I want you to do that every day for a week. And on day seven, I'm going to have you march around this city seven times. Now, I used to hear that when I was younger and think it was kind of weak. It's like, okay. But now it really changes when you really think about this. This is an intimidating force and Joshua and the people's faith is on full display. Not just their belief, but their willingness to step out and believe God can deliver them this city. And so they march around that city. Now think about what it must have been like to be inside the walls of Jericho as that army marched every day around that city. Incredible, right? I mean... We will learn here soon that Jericho and the people in it knew what God had done. They knew that he parted the Red Sea 40 years earlier. They knew that he was clearing the path to the promised land through people. The fear inside those walls as each day went on had to be palpable. But how did we get here? How did we get to this moment? How did we get to the moment of Joshua's march on Jericho? There was a few things that happened first, so we got to back the story up. Enter Rahab the prostitute into this story, a citizen of Jericho. Sometime earlier, Joshua, just like Moses did before him, sends two spies into the land to check out the area around Jericho and the city itself to scout it out. And we're told that those two spies come in contact and go to Rahab's house. And the king of Jericho, who has his own spy network, fully paranoid, I'm sure, well aware of what's coming, uh, finds out that these two outsiders have found their way to Rahab, and so he confronts Rahab. And that's where we're going to start 
Rahab's story in detail. It's found in Joshua chapter 2. So if you want to follow along with me, Joshua chapter 2, we're going to start in verse 3. So the king of Jericho sent orders to Rahab, bring out the men who have come to your house, for they have come to spy on this whole land. But the woman had taken the two men and hidden them, and she replied, yes, the men were here earlier, but I didn't know where they came from. They left the town at dusk as the gates were about to close. I don't know where they went. If you hurry, you can probably catch them. Actually, she had taken them to the roof and hidden them beneath bundles of flax she had on her that she had laid out. So the king's men went looking for the spies along the road leading to the shallow crossing of the Jordan River. And as soon as the king's men had left the gates of Jericho were shut. Verse 8, now, before the spies went to sleep that night, Rahab went up to the roof to talk to them. And get this, says, I know the Lord has given you this land, she told them. We're afraid of you. Everyone in the land is living with terror. For we have heard how the Lord your God made a dry path for you through the Red Sea when you left Egypt. And we know that what he did to the two Amorite kings east of the Jordan River, whose people you completely destroyed. You can say at this point, Rahab's a believer, right? I mean, she believes God. I mean, she believes who he is. She's heard the story. She knows it. She lays claim. And then she says in verse 11, no wonder our hearts have melted with fear. No one has the courage to fight for the Lord, your God, is the supreme God of heaven and earth. Swear to me then by the Lord that you will be kind to me and my family since I have helped you. Give me a guarantee that when Jericho is conquered, you will let me live along with my father and mother, brothers and sisters and their families. We offer our own lives as a guarantee, they said, for, our safety, for your safety, the men agreed. If, we don't, if you don't betray us, we will keep our promise and be kind to you when the Lord gives us this land. Then, since Rahab's house was on the town wall, she let them down by a rope through the window, and she told them, escape to the hill country there for three days, and when they return from looking for you, you can go on your way and find your way back to Joshua. Rahab. A woman who had faith, who believed in God and declares it in the moment, for sure. But also a woman, a woman who had faith that was based on a reason, not just blind faith, right? She'd heard. She'd heard the stories. The whole city had heard the stories. So it was based on a reason, a woman who also acted on that faith, that belief, that reason with action and stepped out and put her life on the line. Not only her life, but her whole family's life on the line as she crafted this story and this exit plan. Rahab, courage. A woman with courage to face a king. Rahab, whose faith was bold and unselfish, right? Because she didn't just craft a plan to save her own life. She included her mother and father, her brothers, sisters, and all their families. Courage, boldness, unselfish. Difference-making kind of stuff, right? Rahab. Cunning, right? You could say the word cunning because she crafts a believable lie to the king. And he buys it. And he sends his man, men down the, 
down the river road to try and catch up the kings. And all the while, she's led them to the hill country to hide out for a few days before they find their way back to Joshua to give him the report. And in an escape plan made for Hollywood, likely at night, she lowers a rope through her window and lowers the spies down to safety so they can escape outside the city wall. Rahab, difference making, right? So what happens? How does this story finish? As Rahab lays the foundation for Joshua's march on Jericho, how does this story finish? Let's fast forward back to Joshua 6. And Joshua and his army of 40,000 march on Jericho. We pick it up in Joshua 6, starting with verse 1. It says, now Jericho was tightly shut because the people were afraid of the Israelites. No one went out. No one went in. And then God says to Joshua, see, I have handed over Jericho to you with its king and valiant warriors. And you shall march on this city, all the men of war, circling the city once. You shall do this for six days. Also the priest shall carry seven trumpets of ram's horn in front of the ark. Then on the seventh day, you shall march around that city seven times and the priest shall blow their trumpets. Think what it was like in that city at that time. And the people shall shout with a great joy. And the walls of this city will fall flat. And then skipping down to verse 17, but the city will be designated for destruction and everyone in it, only Rahab the prostitute, and all who are with her in this house shall live because she hid the messengers. I think it's important for you and I to remember, I first heard this story, I've been to church all my life when I was little, Sunday school. It's a great kid story. It's amazing. You know, the march around Jericho. It's also an incredible adult story, but it's not just a story. I mean, this happened, right? There's historical and archaeological evidence for the fall of Jericho. The walls fell flat. They crumbled. That's reason for you and I's faith. Not just blind faith here. Another reason why we can throw our life in to where God's at. It's reason for our faith. The Israelites won this day, the first of many battles they would have. And Rahab, the prostitute, is the foundation of this story. She sets the table. She is the closer in the Hebrews chapter 11 Hall of Fame. Go figure. It's amazing. I mean, is it awesome? A couple takeaways for me as I studied this story. One, particularly surprising. But... First one is, you would think after all these generations of slavery and bondage in Egypt, they finally get delivered, and they finally, after another 40 years, make it to the promised land. They cross the Jordan River in an incredible ceremony that I talked to you about. You would think they could take a collective sigh of relief. You know, like, finally, we're here, right? But the fight had just begun. It just started, and it's a fight that continues to this day. And our journey of faith has seasons and has moments for sure, but you and I better gear up and know this is a fight all the way, one after another. And this just illustrates, this story illustrates that journey of faith that's so amazing that we're called out to put not just our belief in God, but take steps and, and make action, but it's gonna be a fight. That's clear through this passage. And one thing that's crystal clear is difference-making people, it's not just about a belief in God. All of Jericho believed. The whole city believed God could do this. She says it. 
They're all fearful. <laughs> they know what your God has done. They all believe it. But only one, only one person in that whole city has the courage to step out and back that belief up with action, believing that God can do it again, that he can deliver. That's the difference maker. That's what separates her from everybody else in the city. And the last thing for me is this is really confirming that God is a God of second chances for people, multiple chances, many chances. Rahab herself and her story and her profession illustrates that for us. God believed in her no matter what. Invited her in, extended his hand of invitation. She was the one who was going to house the spies and help them set up for success that was coming. A God of many chances. But also, how about the people of Jericho? This story has been a struggle and a discussion for me with people over the years. Uh, Because it's not the only story in the Old Testament where God commands somebody to wipe out the city. This is something we got to kind of deal with. (laughs) I mean, that God commanded them to go in and no one made it out. Everybody died except Rahab in her story. I mean, that's Rahab and her family. That's just the truth. And so how can a loving God allow that to happen? And uh, when I think about the world we live and all that's playing out, same thing. You look at the stories and the heartbreak of some of the things going on and say, how can a loving God let this happen? It's a core question we got to ask, and others are asking for sure. Uh, But this really changed for me, and I wonder if we don't need to look at this story and Jericho through a little different lens. Blew me away as I started thinking about it here. If we look through a different lens, Rahab tells the spies, everybody in this city knows what God had did. They know what he parted the Red Sea and delivered the nation of Israel to freedom. That was 40 years earlier. 40 years. That city knew what God had done. They heard the stories. They saw the past being clear in their conquests over others. They knew they part, the Jordan River dried up and this army's march to Jericho. The people in Jericho had 40 years to think about that and decide, okay, he did it and he's coming to get us. Do I want to do something about that? Do I want to step out in faith and believe him too? Not just 40 years, but how about the seven days of conquest as they circle a city and march around it? Every day, those people had a chance to think about it, the process. Do I want to step out? Every day as the tension and the fear built, they could say, I want to put my belief that, that this God's going to wipe us out, but I want to put it into action. I want to step out. Only one in that whole city stepped out, made a difference, changes that story for me. Did God, in fact, have mercy to the people of Jericho? Kind of radical thought, isn't it? Did he, in fact, give them all kinds of chances over the course of 40 years to believe in him and not just believe in him, but take a step of action? Yeah. So why did God give us this story? Why is Rahab the closer of Hebrews 11? I mean, why is Rahab tagged with who she was very intentionally in the text three times, Rahab the prostitute? None of those other men and women in that chapter are given a label. You know, they're not... You know, and, and they all had some stories. Basically, you heard about Noah a few months ago. I mean, if you want to light up a little bit, read about Noah post-flood. I mean, he had some struggles, right? I mean, no one else is tagged with a, a label. Why is she <laughs> tagged with a label? I think there's reasons. I know there's reasons because it's very intentional and it's stated several times. I think part of it is to show us 
that God can use anyone, anytime, any story, any age. You're not too young in this place. As you go back to school next week, for God to use you in elementary or middle school or high school, or if you go back to college, that you can make a difference with those people around there. No one's too young. No one's too old. Moses was 80 when he got the calling of his life. As Jeff mentioned last week, he's 120 when he passed the baton to Joshua. We're not too old. No one's got a story. No one, no baggage, no backstory can limit what God can do through you and I. Man, that sounds pretty good, huh? And I think this story Rahab has given to us to say that it does not matter what we've done. It does not matter what we're doing. Rahab at the time this was playing out was probably, well, she was, she was active in her profession. It doesn't matter what we're doing at this moment. God's invitation is universal to everyone. No matter, no matter what, his invitation extends his hand to faith matters not. What we've done, what we're doing, what's been done to us, everyone is welcome. Everyone is invited. The power of this story says that so clearly. And I think in these days in which we live, with such conflict and struggle, such anger toward Christians and Christianity too in this country, in this culture right now, I mean, the last thing we want is to create kind of an us versus them thing. The first thing people need is this message that this is open to everybody, no matter what, no matter where you come from no matter what you're doing, whether we agree with you or not, whether we think that's not the right lifestyle or not, it doesn't matter. I think our job is to come in and just love people and invite them in. Let God worry about the heart and what's going on. I mean, the last thing we want to do is create obstacles to people coming in, especially today, more than anything. People need to know. They're loved. And this invitation goes out to all of us, no matter, no matter what. And in Rahab, I think we see this mysterious, for sure, mysterious God we serve. And we see the wonder of faith. And the scandalous kind of grace that he offers each of us, no matter what our story is. I, for one, am really thankful for that. That he can even use somebody like me in the ways he's done it. Um, there was a movie that really impacted me this summer. Uh, deep impact for a lot of different reasons. And uh, I gotta be honest, uh, this isn't the kind of movie I typically go to. Because over the years, these movies tended to have bad acting and cheesy messages, right? I mean, it just, so I haven't le- generally gravitated to this kind of movie. But this one was different to me. This one seemed different. Uh, I love stories, and it follows the story, the historical story of three men who are deeply flawed people who stepped out in faith in Southern California in the late 60s and who God used to launch a movement, the Jesus Revolution, they called it, well publicized in the late 60s and early 70s in this country with all the strife and conflict, so much like it is today going on, but yet it follows the stories of these three guys. I love it because of that. I think I love it because this movement This Jesus movement in the late 60s, 70s had deep impact on my family. My mom came to know God in a personal way during that time, and her faith exploded. And she led my dad down a road in a journey where his faith was awakened totally, 
And both of them came alive in the, in the late 60s, early 70s on that. And that had impact on us. Many of their friends followed suit. My sister, involved in this movement, my brother-in-law accepted Christ through this movement in the early 70s. So it's had impact on me and my family and my kids indirectly, and likely many of you through this Jesus revolution movement. I love it because of that. I love it because of the moments, because the scene I'm about to show you is this moment of the central character, this pastor who is leading this small church that's dying, steeped in legalism, convinced that people in it, there's only one way to God, totally fearful of the outsiders, the hippies, the drug culture, everything they're seeing about and reading about in the news, that's the last people they want in that church. Fearful of it and locked down. And the pastor begins to really struggle with this. And then this moment comes where he decides, I think I believe that God's love and extended invitations for everybody, but am I going to do something about it? And this moment changes everything, is a catalyst moment that launches a revival and a revolution that started in Southern California and spread all across the country. Culminated with a rally in Dallas in 1972, 200,000 young people that Billy Graham spoke at. Exploded and has had impact through this country to this day. But this moment changed everything. And I want you to show, I want to show this to you. Uh, and then we'll talk a little more about it. So. So many voices. It's hard to hear the truth. Truth is always quiet. It's the lies that are loud. It's complicated. The truth is simple. What is going on? Just that right over there on that towel. And this other one here. There we go. Yeah. Baptize these feet in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. There you go. Uh, welcome to church. <laughs> Hello, you. Let's have that foot, please. This is terrific. Okay. Place them both on that towel and then. Step on into church. Welcome. Thank you. Hello, young lady. How are you? Let's have the foot. Let's have that other foot. <laughs> Go sit next to that fella in the cantaloupe jacket. <laughs> Good to see you. Thank you. Enjoy. Welcome to church. Thank you. Hello, young lady. No, last year I had the privilege of visiting uh, New York City. And like any good tourist, I, I paid a visit to the Statue of Liberty, and I read those famous words: "Give me your tired, your poor, your huddled masses, yearning to breathe free." And as I read those words, I thought, well, that's Christianity, isn't it? <laughs> it's, it's the essence of it. An invitation to the broken. Jesus was very friendly with the outcasts. In Revelation 22, it says, let the one who can hear say, come. Let the one who is thirsty, come. Let the one who desires 
take the waters of life freely. I want you all to look at me. Uh, please. Every one of you. This place, it is yours. <laughs> I don't, I don't care if anybody else thinks so. I mean, if, if you feel like you're an outcast, then join us here. If you feel like you're misunderstood and judged, this is where you belong. If you feel ashamed or trapped in something you've done or are doing, you will find forgiveness and freedom right here. No guilt trips. <laughs> this is your home. And I want you to tell all your friends about it. There is a place for you. Now that door is open all the time for you, any time of day. And if there are some who don't like that, well then that door is open for you too. It works both ways. Let's begin. <laughs> Let's begin. Hey, Chuck. You're going to need a bigger church. <laughs> and that moment launched a movement, that simple moment of simple truth, that God's invitation is to all of us no matter what. Stand with me if you would. I was on a long plane ride last month and people have been asking me about what I do and I was in the middle seat and was like, so they already think I'm weird. And then I'm watching that movie, the four hour flight and I'm fighting back the tears. I'm like, okay, pull it together because that's a moment of enlightenment. That's a moment where a man who believed decided to do it differently and stepped out and made a difference by taking a risky step something that could have cost him everything, his job and everything else, but didn't. Instead, it launched a movement. It spread throughout the country. And so as we end this series, I can't not ask you to take a step out as we've heard these dramatic and amazing stories. So we're gonna sing two more songs and I wanna invite you to step out from your seat and come forward. There's a lot of room up here. I mean, a lot of space. And uh, maybe you come for a couple different reasons. To take a step out and just say, I want to put my faith again to action. I want to take a step to just say, I want to do this differently. Maybe you're heading back to school this week. Know that God can use you just by being who you are. 
and you want to step out and say, yeah, I'm, I'm just going to stick with God no matter what. Or back in the workplace or the different places you are, maybe you come forward because you just want to take a stand. And my invitation is to you, I hope you'll do it. This place is pretty big. We're spread out, you know, and, and maybe you come forward because you just want to be reminded we're in this together. You're not alone. And uh, as we gather down here and in the hallways, aisleways and stuff as we engage these last two songs. Uh, maybe that's why. Or maybe you come because of this verse in Revelations that the pastor in the clip said. He said, come, let anyone who hears this come. Let anyone who is thirsty come. Drink freely. I don't care what your story is or how hard it's been or how successful it's been. Drink freely. If you're thirsty, come. Or maybe it's the lyrics in this song that invite us to come down and do this differently, that the team and Brian's going to lead us in here in a moment. Are you hurting and broken, overwhelmed by the weight of your sin? Jesus is calling you. Have you come to the end of yourself? Do you thirst for a drink from the well? Jesus is calling. Leave behind your regrets and your mistakes. Jesus is calling. doesn't matter. He's extending his hand to you right now. Well, come to the altar. The Father's arms, they're open wide. So if you feel led or nudged, step out and come join us for these last couple songs.